Welcome to the Sticks and Stones and Broken Bones podcast with Rock Valley Physical Therapy. When you're looking for solutions to pain, we are here to help. Whether success for you means lifting a grandchild, getting back to work, or simply walking up the stairs without pain, Rock Valley Physical Therapy is here to help with compassionate, expert clinicians whose goal is to make care as fun and easy as possible. Each episode, we will spend time learning from healthcare providers and patients in hopes of offering solutions to your own aches and pains. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Sticks and Stones and Broken Bones, the Rock Valley podcast with Sam Huey. I am recording live today from Waukee in the Greg Monson studio. I've got a special guest with me today, someone that I've known for years in my time at Rock Valley. She's worked in Ankeny, which is nearby where I am. And more recently in the past couple of years, this person's taken on kind of a special interest in cancer prehab and rehab. So uh, you've, you've probably heard me say this many times now, something I know very little about. So I'm going to be pretty good at playing dumb today when we, when we speak with my friend Ann Deaton today. Ann, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, uh, Sam. This is a great opportunity to share something that I'm pretty passionate about. So um, I'm excited to share a little bit about cancer rehab and what we are doing in the Ankeny office. Yeah, I think this is a population that's probably underserved. And, you know, I, I don't think the general public knows that this is a, a treatment option and a good one for, for people going through this. So I'm really excited to hear more about what you do and what you have to offer. Well, let me start with um, how I kind of broke into this little niche. Um, a few years ago, um, I myself was actually diagnosed with cancer and um, I am now at my five-year mark, and so cancer-free for five years, and that's a very exciting mark to get to for every cancer patient. So um, after going through my um, diagnosis and treatment, I realized that uh, it is something that is really necessary and that the physical therapy world really needs to be more part of this process of treating the cancer population. So um, I really researched how and where to get my training. And in that research, I found um, the PORI Center of Oncology Rehabilitation, which is out of Colorado, and went out there and did my initial training about three years ago and uh, got involved with breast cancer rehabilitation. At that point, I then further my education and got into the neurotoxicity, which is dealing more with the effects of the neuropathy and the effects of chemotherapy on uh, the cancer patient and how we also build in exercise and deal with the physical, the psychological, the cognitive, all of the different types of impairments that patients will deal with along the way in their cancer journey and uh, kind of help to build all those pieces together. So uh, I'm hoping to share with you today how we go from that point of diagnosis with our patients all the way through the process uh, uh, when we have a cancer patient. Yeah, yeah, and it sounds like you know, you're know you along in this journey with them and it's obviously a very personal, intimate journey for those people. So I'm sure you get to experience some pretty cool things with these, these patients. Um, Very much so. Uh, and, and I think that that is part of what we've learned to do with patients. We connect very well at Rock Valley. Uh, we definitely build a rapport with our patients at Rock Valley. And 
Certainly the cancer piece is something that becomes very personal for patients. And uh, so we definitely get to know these individuals. We are spending a lot of time with these individuals and um, it is a journey and it's, it's different for every individual. Um, and sometimes uh, we get to, we celebrate those highs, we celebrate and sometimes we share in those lows during that process. But um, if we can help that journey to be a little bit more um, tolerable and reduce the symptoms, reduce the burden, improve the independence of that patient, ultimately that is the goal no matter what we're dealing with, whether we're dealing with a cancer diagnosis or a surgical diagnosis or um, dealing with the effects of medications, uh, that, you know, that's, that's certainly the end, um, <clears throat> the end goal in all of this. Yes, and tell us a little bit about, you know, from, from the start of a diagnosis, you know, somebody's, let's say breast cancer, for example, recently diagnosed, how do they get to therapy? What happens when they get to therapy? What does that look like from, you know, in a course of care from, from your perspective? So I think for most people, it is, is, much, is very much a whirlwind. So when they get that diagnosis of cancer, um, there's a lot happening in those first few weeks. And oftentimes that physical therapy component isn't top of mind. It's not top of mind for the patient. It's not top of mind for the physicians that are in, involved with that oncology care, but it certainly can be at the top of mind for the patient. And I would certainly uh, have that patient talk to their care coordinator, with the nurses, with their doctors, and just say, hey, I would really like to get involved or get connected with a certified um, therapist who understands um, oncology because I want to enter this system and get connected from the point of diagnosis because we can get a baseline on that individual and see where they're starting um, from the very beginning, find out what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, uh, find out what they might be struggling with, you know, because maybe they had a total knee and uh, before they've even had cancer. So maybe there are some things that they're dealing with from a mobility and function wise before they've even had that diagnosis of cancer that could impact how they proceed through their, um, their, process of dealing with the cancer diagnosis as well. And if we get involved from the beginning, we can make that process just a little bit easier. So uh, being an advocate for themselves can be a really important uh, component. Then we can get involved with the prehab. So it goes diagnosis, then they do this prehab where we will get a baseline on them and then they're going to enter a treatment. So that might be surgery, that might be uh, starting into chemotherapy, depending on the type of cancer. Um, and then they're going into going to a post-op phase where we might get more involved with their care and then a rehab phase. So um, we will be involved throughout uh, the whole course of their care, but at different points, we might be more involved or less involved, depending on what's happening. And 
You know, I, I have patients that I will see a couple of times a week, for example, if they're dealing with a lot of neuropathy uh, and they're having a lot of issues with their balance and the sensation, I might see them a couple of times a week because we're dealing with a lot of functional deficits. Other people, I might only see once a month because they're actually functioning very well and it's more of a check-in and, hey, I'm having this little issue or this little issue. And we can deal with those little things on an ongoing basis. So uh, it really is very dependent on the individual and how much they need at that point in their, their uh, continuum of care. Yeah, and one thing you didn't mention that come, came to my mind when you were speaking on that is, you know, if, if somebody meets somebody like you early on after their diagnosis, that's just one more support system, one more sounding board for them all along the way, right? Like you're going to take them through their highs and lows, like you said, and just right. be, be their person, right? That spends a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with them. Um, obviously, their oncologists are great, but they don't spend the same amount of time one-on-one -on -one that we have the opportunity to do, so... Exactly. And if they've got questions, we can help them to get to the right person to either answer that question. If I personally am unable to answer those questions, um, if something is not going exactly as we had hoped, you know, I can encourage them to reach out to radiation, to oncology, to the nursing staff, um, and make sure that they are staying on top of their care and not waiting for an extra week or two, because time is really so important in making sure that things are happening when they need to happen. Right. And navigating the healthcare system is hard for anybody. And that's, yeah. that's become a growing part of our profession, regardless of what your specialty practice is, you know, so that's great. Correct. Um, so let's talk about kind of specifically, what are you treating with these patients? Um, and, you know, how do you, some things you mentioned to me earlier were neurotoxicity, neuropathy, and uh, fatigue. So can we maybe break those down and give us kind of the overview of what those are and what do we do about them? So um, let's talk a little bit um, about neurotoxicity. So neurotoxicity is usually defined as something that's chemo-induced. So um, when we go through chemo, um, there's, and there are so many different drugs out there. And so we can't actually talk about a specific drug because each drug has a lot of different side effects. But in general, um, chemotherapy drugs will cause weakness and they will cause um, debilitation to the system because it's trying to fight the cancer. And that causes a, it, it's attacking the, the cancer cells. It's causing a, for a lack of better terms, it's stealing um, energy from the body, the patient's body um, in order to treat the, um, in order to treat the disease. Primary deficits that are related to chemo-induced neurotoxicity include weakness and, de and uh, debilitation. And this can be related to fatigue, myelosuppression to the system, CIPN. And CIPN is a common term that you will see in the medical 
in the medical uh, system, and that's called chemo-induced peripheral neuropathy. And chemo-induced excuse me, peripheral neuropathy is, <laughs> it is, it is, uh, is basically where the chemo will actually attack the nervous system. And it can attack the sensory motor system, um, which might affect the hands and the feet, which is where we see it primarily. You'll see uh, cancer patients complain of lack of sensation in their fingers and their toes, uh, which then affects their ability to do fine motor activities. It affects their balance, their ability to ambulate normally. Um, you'll hear about vestibular problems and vestibular problems will affect their balance. And then ringing in the ears, that's another thing that you'll hear about. Uh, vertigo, dizziness, those are all very uh, real symptoms that these patients are affected with, uh, with the chemo. And those will affect their daily activities and can be very burdensome day in and day out. So if we are able to enter, you know, have them come into the, to the clinic early on when these symptoms start to be, become a problem and start to address those things, we can basically train the nervous system how to deal with these insults. And it's not something that we can necessarily prevent. Um, because the, the chemo is still going into their system. We still have to treat the cancer. We still have to make sure that we are taking care of the, the problem that's happening within their, within their system. However, if we can kind of try, try, try to help trick the body and help retrain the system in how it's perceiving what's happening to it, um, then we are going to help overcome some of the uh, deficits that the body is perceiving um, and kind of help to improve the balance, improve the uh, ability to of the body to adapt to these changes that it's experiencing. Um, I'm sorry, did you have a question? Sorry, yeah, I was, I was just gonna comment. I assume part of that then is also, you know, the ability to prepare that patient. Hey, these are some things that might start to happen. You might start to notice, right? That's normal, it's common. You right. know, let's talk about it, let's tackle it before it becomes a bigger issue. And then you probably, correct me if I'm wrong, you probably avoid that vicious spiral of, my balance is getting worse, so I'm doing less, right? So now I'm getting weaker because I'm doing less, right? So you yes. can try to stay and one step ahead of that. And it's trying to, you know, teach them energy conservation. And especially when these patients go into a, an, a time of myelosuppression or when they hit that time of, of nadir or when a, their body is actually at their lowest point following chemo and their blood levels are, are, have really gotten into a really low point, they don't want to work. They don't want to do exercise. They don't want to try and do, because they feel lousy. Well, trying to help them understand just the little bit of exercise, just a little bit of activity can help their body to actually overcome some of these things. And, and we can, we'll talk about that just a little bit later with regards to cancer related fatigue, but the, um, this weakness and this debilitation um, 
you know, it just kind of builds on itself. And so having physical therapy involved actually helps to keep their level of endurance at a higher level and their tolerance to daily activities uh, and their um, psychosocial aspects of life uh, at a higher level throughout the course of care. So it, it's, it, it just kind of compounds on itself. And then having just knowing what to expect, knowing uh, what, where they can, what things they might have control over, because certainly cancer care, you don't have a lot of control. You know, the doctors are telling you, hey, this is what's, what we're, our plan is. And, you know, you're leaving up a lot of control over the course of, a, uh, of going through cancer treatments. And so coming into PT, suddenly, hey, these are some of the things I do have control over. These are some of the things I can do um, to help take back some of that control and get some of my independence back. I'm having flashbacks of psychology 101 right now when we're talking about like locus of control. So for sure, <laughs> this is good. Um, so you mentioned cancer related fatigue. Um, it sounds fairly straightforward, but tell us a little bit about what that is in your world. So cancer related fatigue, um, as it's defined, uh, is called, it's a distressing, persistent, subjective sense of tiredness or exhaustion related to cancer or cancer treatment that's not proportional to the activity and it interferes with usual function. Uh, so this is, it, there's typically absolutely no relationship uh, between the symptoms and the activities that immediately precede them. So if you or I were to go for a 10 mile run and we would expect to feel very fatigued um, and tired. However, this person that's going through cancer treatments may or may not have any um, activities and could have a nap and wake up as tired or more tired as they did before. Uh, it's unlike normal fatigue or exhaustion. It's cancer-related fatigue does not improve with sleep and rest, and it definitely will impair quality of life. Um, it tends to be a vicious cycle, and uh, individuals will, will notice decreased physical performance, um, inactivity, or it kind of cycles into this avoidance of activity. Um, it leads to depression and it, it's, it's a cyclical thing. So um, it affects about 90% of cancer patients. And so it's, it's something that is pretty profound, honestly. And uh, is something that we definitely need to address in the rehab world to try and keep people as active as we can, because we know that exercise definitely, you know, with that release of endorphins will help improve depressed mood. And if we try to give some, if we try to give people some hope that, Hey, we can start to overcome some of this and, and just have being around people and that positive attitude that um, all of our therapists tend to provide 
it, you know, I think that it helps to start turn start to turn things around. And I have seen this with the patients that I have worked with that they're like, I need to be here. I need to be in the clinic because I see the impact that it has. It is so hard for me to stay motivated and to do my exercises at home. But when I'm here, it, I just feel better. Um, so there is definitely an, an impact to being in the clinic and doing, doing exercise. Um, and sometimes these individuals just, they just don't have it in them to keep going. Uh, and so the, the onsite and having them in the clinic to do something really does help. Yeah, that, that brings to my mind, you know, obviously right now with the, the pandemic and with COVID, you know, some people may not be comfortable going into a clinic, but there are other options too, right? We can do telehealth visits. Some companies can do home health visits. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is if you're concerned about, you know, immunosuppression going into a public clinic, there's, there's other options to receive some of this care from a physical therapy perspective too. Absolutely. Yep. And surprisingly, with um, the, a lot of the immunosuppressed population that I'm working with right now, they want to be here. Um, you know, I'm, and and we are in a, a little bit larger space here, so we've had the ability to spread out and to be in a in an area where a lot of the patients have still felt very comfortable coming into the clinic um, and just having that one-on-one -on -one, uh, care that they get here. But if they don't feel comfortable with that, I have done some telehealth. Uh, last year, I did uh, met with a few patients via telehealth to do some of that as well. Yeah, there's certainly some benefits to that also. Um, speaking of which, I think the, the benefit to the patient is pretty apparent just from what you've been talking about. Um, a couple of things you mentioned to me before are some of the other you know, players in the healthcare system that benefit from this outside of the patient. So just the medical system in general, and then physicians. So can you expand on that a little bit? And we'll kind of wrap up with that. Absolutely. So uh, the value to the medical system, you know, what we have found through just research and the value of getting therapy involved with the oncology rehab uh, side of things is the decreasing the length of hospital stays for these, this population, uh, decreasing the amount of ER admissions and improving the medical outcomes to this patient population. Um, value to the patient, of course, is just improving their function, improving their quality of life. And then they are leaving the hospital with an improved uh, level of discharge. At, at discharge, their level of function is at a higher level as well. Um, and then to the physicians, it's allowing them more treatment options. So if, if we can in, educate our physicians and just bring it to the attention to our physicians, if our, our patients are advocating for themselves and saying, hey, I, I want to go to therapy, um, and just say, hey, I, I would really like this to be part of my, my care plan. Um, it allows physicians more options. And physicians are seeing that there's improved compliance and improved engagement with their treatment plan if they in, include physical therapy as part of the plan. That's fantastic. And, and just to hear you talk about the, the big 
impact on the medical system. You know, less time spent in a hospital is good for so many reasons, right? For that yes. person's, you know, psychological well-being, their mental health, um, for insurance costs, right? If you have to spend less time in a hospital, it's less money. And back to exposure to COVID and other, you know, other bugs, like the less time you can be in a hospital or, e or an ER, especially if you're immunosuppressed, we'll take it, right? Yeah, no kidding, no kidding, <laughs> for sure, especially with those are with our myelosuppressed individuals. Yeah, exactly. Well, Anne, thank you so much for taking some time. I know I learned a lot. Um, I would say anybody out there that uh, is either dealing with this themselves or a family member, how would you, how do you find somebody like you if you're not from the Des Moines area? You know, is there a term they should look up when they're searching for therapy or what, how do you, how do they find you? So the best way to find a certified oncology rehab specialist, um, I am a PORI specialist, that's P-O-R-I uh, specialist. There is actually a website through PORI that will list all of the specialists across the United States. Um, and will they will show where those are located uh, in your area. So there are a few PORI specialists in the state of Iowa. Um, I believe there's a few in, this, in the state of Illinois and of course all across the United States. Um, so you should be able to find my name um, in that list. And then um, certainly there are other specialists that are out there, but if you are having a, you know, if you have a question, you can certainly reach out to Rock Valley in your area and they can direct you as well and help you find somebody if there is not a PORI specialist that's in your in your local area. They may have um, some, some people that they have contact with that might uh, be a good fit. Yep. And I mean, that's our Rock Valley guarantee, right? Is if we can't get you better, we'll find somebody who can. So if, if we don't have that person in that region or in that area, then, you know, it's, we'll take it on to, to find you somebody that can help you. So. Absolutely. Um, and I'll have you send me that link and then I can post it in the caption to this podcast for the, for the Pori website. And then people can get on that. that if they want. Um, otherwise, thanks again for your time. And, uh, Thanks to everybody listening. Remember to check out our website at rockvalleypt.com as well as our Facebook for more information about Rock Valley and what we can do to, to help with your needs. Rock Valley has over 50 clinics serving Iowa, Illinois, and now Nebraska. Our employees live out our tagline every day with the goal of making better lives. Mm -hmm.